Let's give the Lord one more amen. Let's uh, thank the Lord for the opportunity we have to be in the house of the Lord today. I want to invite our little ones, our little members, uh, to be dismissed to a wonderful, wonderful time that we have for you right next door. And uh, so if you're ready to go to Children's Church today, come on and slip out of that seat. We have a lot of fun things for you. And so your parents can stay here and fall asleep. Amen. No, just teasing. So all you, all you little ones, come on if this is your first time. And just we need to go with your children so you can register them. But we are glad to have this program for them today. And what an awesome team that we have over there doing that. Can we just give the Lord a praise for the awesome team, children's ministry team that we have on the other side. Well, good morning, church. I hope that you had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. I know that holidays can either be good, good or bad, depending on maybe what has happened in your life or some. It's a difficult season. But we just hope that today you feel lifted and encouraged and by what has been spoken and what has been sung today, by our opportunity to be together in this place. If you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Terrence Taylor, one of the pastors on staff here, and I want to welcome you on behalf of the church and our lead pastor, Sergio Menense. Welcome today to the Richland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are glad that you're here, and we hope that you feel at home. So we are doing a series. If you don't know what a series is, it's just a, a, a focus for some messages, kind of like episodes. And uh, we have started a series called Through the Eyes of God. And I've been assigned uh, to talk about a subject today that I'm excited to share with you. And what I decided to do uh, because of what I'm sharing is to kind of do it in a different way. Y'all don't mind, do you? I, I decided to kind of do this in a more of a conversational teaching way. Now, please don't tease me about not a professor, but I thought it would be great to do this in a different way. And I'm going to use a whiteboard today. And so I'm excited about this. And so my task today has been to talk about through the eyes of God, uh, specifically with the topic of prejudice. And I want to really expand this and make this as big as it can be and shrink it and make it applicable for everyone here in the room. And we are going to be looking at two different texts, and I want to give you those ahead of time. First, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, and we're just going to look at a few verses there towards the end of that verse. Um, let me find it for you. I believe it's going to be 20, 39. Luke chapter 5, yeah, towards the end of the chapter. Um, yeah, we're going to look at verses 37 through 39. And then we are going to look at the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Very interesting chapter or book in the Bible. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to need you to help me preach this message today. And I'm going to need you to look at someone next to you, look them right in the face with a nice big smile and say, neighbor... Oh, neighbor, God is sending you. Let's try it again. Another neighbor, look on the other side. Just look at him real nicely. Say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor, God is sending you. 
And if he had a chance, he could just point it right in the face. You, you, sending you. <laughs> Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for this day and for all the family and friends that are here today. May the word just speak to our hearts, challenges us, lift us to a new place in you. We love you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You look at our world in the last couple weeks, and I don't know what context you have, depending on your age. I'm sure all of us have seen worse, but it, seems, it just seems like the world needs a church who is prepared to meet the needs of this generation. Anybody agree with me? That God is raising up people to address, to address issues and problems and crises through the people that he's put together in the family called the church. And I want to tell you that you are the answer to someone's problem. I want to tell you that you have been designed, you have been birthed, and that you are the answer to someone's problem. You are exactly what someone needs. And you may not realize that that someone may not be someone that you know. But the way God has designed you and what he's put inside of you and what you lean towards and what you're, what you're drawn to, those things God has assembled in you so that you might be the answer to someone's problem. And collectively, together, as a church, we are the answer to what is needed not only in this community but in the world. How many of you believe that? that you have purpose, that you have something that God wants you. And that's why, for some of you, the enemy works so hard. That's why he works so hard to destroy you, to distract you, to pull you away. Because the enemy knows if one thing he is afraid of and, and there's one thing he is terrified of is the church. That's because God said, Jesus said himself, that I will build my what? My church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I want you to understand that that is not a defensive statement. That's not defense. That's offense. In other words, it is not that the gates of hell come to us. It is that the church goes to the gates of hell, and the gates of hell are not able to withstand our chiefs, Kansas City chief offense. Well, I know they lost this week. But, but that's what it's supposed to look like. That's, that's what it's supposed to look like for the church. We are supposed to dominate. We are supposed to walk into situations and to completely take control because we are the church, the church that God has raised up. And a couple weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to speak uh, to the students at Walla Walla University, and they picked a really great theme. And I thought this text would really set our conversation well. And it's found, as I mentioned, in Luke chapter 5 at the very, very end of the chapter. Very, very end of the chapter, Jesus says something very profound here. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine will burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored into new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine. 
they say. Now, I thought that text was interesting because at first, when you look at it, you can think that maybe that there's a comparison between old wine and good wine, new wine. And those who come from an Adventist tradition or Adventist are involved in the Adventist faith community, you also see these tensions within the Adventist church of old wine and new wine. Is Jesus saying that there's something wrong with the old wine? Absolutely not. Is he saying that the new wine is better than the old wine? No. He says some people who taste the old wine say, I like the old wine better than the new wine. And as I wrestled with that, especially with the students, I, God shared something with me that I thought was so monumental, at least to me, and, and began to shift me theologically to not look at it as comparative, but look at, at, at it in a way of this way, that God loves the old wine and he needs the old wine, but he also needs new wine. And the reason we need old wine and new wine is because there's not enough wine. It's just not enough wine. Nothing wrong with the old wine. The old wine is sweet. Y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. But the old wine <laughs> takes time. And the older it is, the better it is. But the world is in desperate need of wine. And we don't have enough wine. Therefore, the Lord says, we need new wine. We need new generations. We need new things that can come into the world and make a difference. And our series talking about seeing through things through the eyes of God is a very dangerous prayer, really, to ask. I mean, really, that's kind of what prayer is, as I've probably taught before, that prayer is really asking to see things from God's perspective. From our perspective, we don't see very much. We can only see a limited amount of things, but from God's perspective, he can see all things. And so really prayer is asking God to show me what you see. And so this principle of seeing things through the eyes of God is really foundational to us as believers. But to ask God to show me something different, to show me what you are seeing, is a very dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that calls for new wine. Because when you see something different, you have to have a different response. When God shows you something new, you have to respond and act differently. And I believe that God is raising up a church that is putting together a wine that the world desperately needs. Would anybody agree with that this morning? And so let's walk to Jonah, because Jonah gives us a very interesting perspective of how God sees prejudice, how God sees the way we have preferences towards certain things. And I want to teach you a little bit about that, so I don't want to leave you hanging, but I want to go to the book of Jonah. And I want to show you a few things on the board, and then we're going to come back, and then you can go back and eat the rest of your dinner roast. By the way, if anybody knows anybody at Worthington, please tell them to put the GMO back in my dinner roast. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Dinner roast is like an alternative turkey, and I don't know what they did this year, but I was mad about it, okay? Didn't taste right. Okay, anyway, so, okay. We're going <laughs> to... 
Don't mess with my dinner rolls, man. That's all I got. Y'all mess with the leanies. You mess with the corned beef. And all I had was dinner rolls, and it got messed up. So let's go to the book of Jonah. And let's just start off with the first couple of verses. The Bible says the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of, I don't even know how to say it. I was trying to practice. Anybody know how to say it? Huh? You don't know how to say it. Just, y'all just making it up. We'll go with Amatai. I'm just playing. <laughs> he says, get up. Look, now this is God, right? Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction <laughs> to get away from the Lord. <laughs> he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now this is a very interesting beginning to a chapter because we see some dynamics here about this relationship with God and Jonah. Now, Jonah is a very interesting book, especially for those who may be new to the Bible. It sounds a little ridiculous. How in the world is God sending a fish? And you have to read the rest of it to find out what happens. But here we have this interesting wrestle between God and Jonah. God says, I need you to go and make an announcement to a city that they're wicked and I'm going to bring justice. That's a hard message, right? To have to walk to a, a city and say, hey, my name's Jonah. I just want to let you guys know you're all going to die. Um, you've been wicked. And uh, the Lord has come to bring judgment upon you. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Good night, right? You're probably worried if he's going to get out of there alive. But, but God is counting on him to give this message. But Jonah's response is, which is very interesting, as soon as he hears it, he gets up. So there's a response. His response is, I'm going to go far, as far away from the Lord as possible. Now, this is a very interesting relationship that God speaks to him, and he's like, I'm getting away from the Lord. I have a problem with this assignment. Let's keep going. So verse 4, but the Lord hurled a powerful, so he gets on a ship, we read that, a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo over to lighten the ship. So here's some sailors from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and they're like, Look, we, got, we, got to, we got to save ourselves. Everybody called to their God. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? See, that'll preach right there. But see, because God is looking for a church to bring a message that sometimes we don't want to accept, but the, God asks, or the captain asks a great question. How can we sleep at a time like this? 
Jonah thought, I can escape the trouble of the world. I can escape these issues. I can go down in the bottom of the ship, and I'm just going to fall asleep. Jonah's in complete rebellion. He's running from God, and, he's, he, and the people are freaking out, saying, what is going on? And the captain says, how in the world could you sleep at a time like this? Here's what I said I need you to do. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. They're trying to figure this thing out. Like, this is a deadly storm. Let's get to the root of this. Let's start talking. Let's cast some lots. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. I love the way the Bible writes this. It's Jonah. They asked him, why is this awful storm come to us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you, are you from? And what is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, this is what I want to pull over here to this whiteboard. I want to talk a little bit about culture. Now, I'm going to do my best here to draw an iceberg. Does that kind of look like an iceberg? No? Kind of looks like Bart Simpson. All right, let's try it over. Okay, let's, let's, start, let's start with a water line. Let's start with that. Okay, so we'll just go like this, all right? Oh, but I can't, I can't spell, I can't write, okay. This worked out in my mind before I did it. I want to talk about culture. Because what these gentlemen were asking, if you could put that, quote those questions back up there in verse um, 8. They all identify with their own particular gods, with their own particular nationality, and from their perspective, they're saying, Somebody's God is responsible for this. So they ask these questions saying, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? Now keep in mind that Jonah is running from the Lord's assignment and trying to get as far away from God's assignment to go to Nineveh as possible. Would we can we conclude that Jonah has some issues with Nineveh? Okay, if you read the rest of the book, you'll see that Jonah has some real issues with Nineveh. What he actually believes is that Nineveh deserves to be destroyed. And that comes from his cultural perspective. So I'm going to talk about culture. Now, culture is, in a very simple way, it's, it's your worldview. It's how you see the world. How many of you have heard this before, worldview? Now, here's what's interesting. So, as we have this iceberg, most of you know that the majority of an iceberg is below the water. Has anybody seen an iceberg before? Been to Alaska or anything like that? Okay, cool. So, you know that the majority of the ice, the part of the iceberg is below 
the water. This really is a great a model and example for worldview. So what on top of what we see on top is behavior. It's what we can see. What you can see on top of the iceberg is what all of us can see. How do you behave? How do you look? What do you like? Right below this waterline is actually what you believe. Oop, I didn't spell it right. There we go. Is what your beliefs are. Down here at the bottom, way below the surface, we'll do another little line here. Perhaps the biggest part of it is your values. Now, here's why this is important, because all of us have been raised with a worldview that has defined us and how we define our culture. So, for example, I met a young lady who's here from Japan. If I was born in Japan, if my parents moved to Japan, and I was born in Japan, and I lived in Japan till I was 25 years old, and I came to America to see my family, what cultural perspective am I gonna have? I'm gonna be Japanese. I may not look Japanese, but I'm gonna sound Japanese, and I'm going to speak Japanese, and I'm going to love Japanese culture and be able to un and identify it. Now, culture is not just exclusively ethnicity or race, but it is applied broadly to almost anything in life. Here's what's interesting for those who have an Adventist background. How many of you know and can recognize that Adventism specifically is a culture? Here's what happens. Typically what some people, maybe this happened to you, someone tried to persuade you to have a cert to change and have a can everybody see it? A, a change and have a certain set of behaviors. In order to change your behavior, you were taught what to believe. You still there? But it did not touch what you valued. Let me give you an example. I grew up in a blue, I, I didn't, but personally, let's say I grew up in a blue-collar state, Pennsylvania, right? Pittsburgh. I grew up where my grandfather worked at the plant, and my dad worked at the plant, and I'm working at the plant, right? We're hard workers. We do our best. And so I go to the church, and someone tells me, you know what? The Bible actually teaches that the Sabbath is the Lord's day and that we should observe the Sabbath, right? Oh, really? That means X, Y, and Z and that we give the Lord our best and it's his time and so we don't work on Sabbath. So that guy says, you know what? I believe that. I think that's awesome. Then somebody tells him, well, you actually have to go to your job and tell them that you now can't work on Sabbath. He goes to his job, and his job tells him, I am so glad that you're going to church on Saturday. However, we need you to be to work on Saturday. And here comes the struggle, because what he may not have been taught is that the Lord is your provider, which is a value. 
He's been taught, I provide for my family. So what happens is when the belief of the Sabbath comes into conflict with a deeper value of providing for myself, for, for my family, his value is going to win. His value is going to say, I got to take care of my family. And see, what's interesting is many people who have grown up in a culture of Adventism from day one have been taught to appreciate and go through a system of education because that's one of our values. And if you go through the right system of education and get the right profession, guess what? You'll never have to worry about Sabbath. Trust me, I'm going somewhere this morning. You'll never have to worry about it because you'll be in a profession, especially at the church, we'll see is acceptable. That when it comes to Sabbath, that's really not a conflict. And so the, your values give you what you believe. And what you believe dictates your behavior. You see how deep that is? And so when you start thinking about how do I associate, identify myself? There's really 10 things that you could do it with. I can't see it from over there, but I'm going to write them down. I'll write this. Your ability, but really this is how you, how you look. Your appearance, sorry. Appearance. Just pretend that that says appearance. Your age. Your ethnicity. There's 10 of them. Your gender. Your race. Religion. I can see. Your sexual orientation. Can y'all see that? Just pretend you can read that. And your social economic status. So here's what the devil likes to do. The devil loves division. He loves division. He loves to split people. He loves to get you over here and get you over here. What he likes to do is emphasize some of the things that how we locate ourselves with stuff that we can't change. Can you change your age? Nope. Can you change your ethnicity? Well, you can change your gender. Can you change your race? <laughs> right? And so, so what I would, so here's what happens. When we, when we view ourselves and identify ourselves by these things, right, who we, our appearance, what we look like, you know, we tend to be attracted and show preference to people that we identify with. Right? I see guys with beards when I had a beard. Hey, what's up? Beard bros. Right? You see a golfer. You see someone who plays music. Right? You see, you know, a grandmother. You have those things that you, you're, you feel comfortable when you see them. You, you feel like, you know what? I, I, I can get along with this person. And that can get dangerous, obviously, right, in different contexts because you're not necessarily trying to be prejudiced or, or have a, you just have a preference towards them. Because of what you 
identify with them. But what the enemy would love to do is cause these problems and cause division to basically say, you should feel, you will feel way much better, so much better if you stay with people like this or you stay with people like this and even unfortunately stay with people like this that are within your religion. And so Jonah's cultural perspective is that I'm not going to Nineveh, and here's his beef with God. I'm not going to Nineveh because you forgive people. (laughs) I know that sounds weird. He argues with God and says, no, see, this is what you're going to do, God. You're going to send me over there. I'm going to have this big old speech, and then you're going to change your mind, and then you're going to be soft on them, and you're going to forgive them, and I'm going to be embarrassed. Jonah has major anger issues, and here's what's so deep. While he is on the boat, God is demonstrating to him what will happen if he's just obedient to where God is sending him. Because as I said before, you are the solution to a problem that you don't even realize yet. And God often sends us to the places of our deepest weakness. He he loves to send us to the places that we're uncomfortable with. And when we get stubborn, you know what he does? He sends people to us. So you want to get on a boat and go to Nineveh? Guess what? I'm going to put everybody on the boat that you got a problem with. (laughs) You got that coworker at work. You're like, why do they keep, why do they still have a job here? Why do you got to sit next to me every day? That's why God is saying, yeah, because you might be the solution. And if I can get you to see it the way I see it, it'll change your life. So here's what Jonah says in verse 9. He says, they say, who are you? What's your line of work? Let's get some social identification here. Let's talk about where you are culturally. Because we're trying to figure out. We know that there's something connected with religion. Somebody's God is mad. And we need to identify that. And so verse 8, he says, why is this awful? Oh, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. God of heaven who made the sea and land. But he does leave out what he does, right? He leaves that out, that he's the prophet. Verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this. Look at this. For they already, he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. (laughs) It's so interesting. I love what happens on this boat. At that time, the storm was getting worse all the time. They asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? He says, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed harder, even harder to get the ship out of land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Here's one of the points I wanted to share with you today. Here's what's interesting and what's dangerous that they teach me about being too close and being too committed to one particular identification, social or cultural identification, is that this kind of stuff happens. That there's somebody in your boat that is bringing you down. There's someone in your boat that God is trying to get off the boat and what do we do? We have those people in our lives, Pastor Fred. We keep rowing. 
we keep growing harder. And they've already told us that they don't belong in the boat, right? They've already told us that, that God is doing something with him. But we try to save them. And we try so hard to keep rowing faster and harder. And the storm is more violent and more violent. He says, throw me into the sea. It will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is my fault. They kept rowing, but they couldn't make it. They cried out to the Lord. At this point, they're crying out to God in verse 14. They said, forget Jonah. He's rebellious. It says, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. Now, that's a good prayer right there. Don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. So the Lord used Jonah's rebellion to reach people that may not have been reached otherwise. I think it's powerful that when we begin to see things through the eyes of God, God says, Jonah, you want to be rebellious? You want to get in a boat and go to Nineveh? That's cool. But my will will be done. Not only for the sake of your life, but for the sake of those around you. And I'm going to show my power, and I'm going to show my strength, and I'm going to introduce myself to people even while you're being rebellious, that I am the God of all people. And if I could challenge you this morning, church, is to ask God to open your eyes because he's willing to use you even in your frailty, even in your mistakes, even in your limit, limits, even though you may not be 100% comfortable with different types of people, God just says, just go. But you don't understand, I really, I really don't feel comfortable. God says, just go. Because I will open your eyes to something that you probably have never seen. And when you see people through the eyes of God, you don't just see them on the surface. You don't just see behavior. You don't just cast judgment. And that's all that Jonah could see. When he was thinking about Nineveh, he said, they're evil, they're wicked, I'm not going there. But when you see things through the eyes of God, you begin to see much deeper. And when you get down to here, you know what I've, what I've understood? That cultural is not sinful. Culture is not an excuse for sin, but it's not sinful. And that we serve a God that is bigger than us. In fact, the whole world reflects the beauty of God, because God has created these things to express who he is. And so the more we seek after God, the more we see more people, we are getting a bigger and broader perspective of who God is. And it changes 
who we see ourselves as. Because the older I'm getting and the longer I live, I begin to understand that I can associate with people and connect with people at such a deep level, even though nine out of ten out of these things are not the same. Because there's something about you that I need. And there's something about me that you need. And that's the way that God designed the church. And that's the reason God designed the church. And so when people stand on media and say that this country is divided, you know what I say? That's a lie. As long as there's a church, the country is not divided. As long as there's a church, there aren't racial issues. As long as there's a church, there will be fair diversity and inclusion. As long as there is a church, women will be lifted up and exalted. As long as there's a church, the standard of what God wants will be demonstrated in the earth. And that's the very reason that God has raised up to church, to show the proof of God that people can look in the room and wonder how do all these people get along it is because of the spirit of the living God Jesus who died for Jonah and died for Nineveh we serve a God who says I'm sending you to proclaim a message and in that message even though you're saying yes you are wicked you will see the outpouring of my mercy on them. I love the song that we sang, Jesse. I know we're not going to sing this one next, but I love the song that we sang earlier. Open my eyes so I can see. So here's my question to you, church. What does God want you to see? Who does God want you to see? Who is in your life that you are attracted to, maybe not in a positive way? You're attracted because every time you see them on TV, like they, it rubs you the wrong way. You're attracted because every time you see them in the store, you have a certain per, uh, perception of them. And, and every time you see them, it bothers you. But God is saying, actually, if you see them the way I see them, I'm attracting them to you because there's something that you have that they need. And there's something that they have that you need. It's so funny when I talk to my friends about the churches that I serve in. And, you know, a lot of my friends... Um, pastor churches that are pretty, you know, one culture in the church, whether it's black, whether it's white, whether it's mostly Hispanic, whatever the church is, a lot of churches are like that, right? That there's just pretty much one, one type of people in the church, whether they're all young or all old or whatever, or older, I should say. And we talk all the time, and it's so funny because I love to brag about the Richland Church. I love to say, you know what, man, if you came to my church, you'd be, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised when you walk in the door. You'd be surprised how you receive. I have friends that have never preached in a church that was predominantly white, never done that their whole life. And I say, man, if you, came to my, if you came to my church, you could preach. You could preach like you want to preach. You could preach like you really want to preach. And that's what I love about being here because I understood what's going to, what's going to happen and what's going to be beneficial to you and to me is to be my authentic self. To show you everything that I have because there is something special about each and every one of you. And I realize that Jesus has put me here, not for me just to bless you, but for you to bless me. And for me to broaden my uh, my perspective and see things differently and appreciate who God has put in front of me. 
you know, by definition, racism, which is really extreme to cultural bias and cultural preference when you get to a point where racism really just becomes a system. Any kind of ism is a system that perpetuates that preference to be strong. I think about the qualities of racism where, you know, the, the system says that this person, this group of people is dominant and this group of people uh, needs to be put down. And so they are looked at and they are singled out and they are picked uh, to receive uh, what, uh, or receive or not receive what the dominant culture wants them to receive. Now, never forget reading this book about building multicultural churches, and there was, a, there was a phrase that I really liked that the author wrote. He says, you know what I am? He says, I'm a gracist. So I practice gracism. I look for specific people, and I indiscriminately choose them to pour grace on them. And I build a system in my church well, we are not racist, but we are gracist. And I'm just hoping that this church will begin to see things from the eyes of God and the person that you don't understand, the person that you would never associate, the person that you would never talk to, that you would say, that's the person I'm going to show God's love to. That's the person I'm going to seek and I'm going to find and I'm going to love on you and there is nothing that you can do about it. What happens if the church of the living God sees through the eyes of Jesus? We're going to sing, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then Pastor Fred's going to come up and pray one more time. Father, I'm just thankful that you ask us to do dangerous things, like see things through your perspective, that you ask us to do things like be uncomfortable in places where we're not comfortable. Lord, we will choose to embrace being uncomfortable. We will choose to embrace the people that you put us in and around. And Father, today, this morning, as we have celebrated Thanksgiving and had people around the table, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to see who's not around the table and that we would make a resolve to build a house that is Jesus' house that loves all people, and that we would become catalysts of change in this society, that we would begin to pour out the vessels of new wine that this world is so desperate for. And Father, as we sing today, may our hearts be renewed. May we repent from our preferences and from our prejudices, and may we see them as opportunities to get to know you, the beauty that you've put inside of the people in this world. We love you and we thank you. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, I want to invite you to stand as we sing this last song together. And Pastor Fred comes after that and prays. <laughs>